Hello, this is Mason. Welcome to Anime Attic, the show that goes into your attic and blows the dust off of old and forgotten or not quite remembered anime. That's not necessarily the case in this time because Escaflone is probably really pretty well known, I would imagine. If you haven't heard of it, you should go check it out. But Yeah, but it is pretty old. It is from 1996. That's true. It That's is- 20 years ago almost. You're right. I'm, I'm losing track of time, as is typical in my case. It's because you're old. Don't worry. I'm so old. <laughs> anyway, yes. Welcome to the show. I am Mason. I am the guy who's producing this show and trying to make it happen. And with me is... Hey, guys. I'm Raven, cosplayer, YouTube show host, all of the fun, nerdy things, because let's be nerds and it's fun. And then special guest appearance today yes. for the first time ever is... Hello, I'm Juliana, and I am a huge... Well, I'm a huge nerd, but I'm a huge Escaflone nerd, because it was my first anime, so I'm Aww. excited to be here. I know, it got me into... It was my gateway drug, so I begged to be on this show, and Mason kindly obliged. Yeah, I definitely wanted to do it, because I saw the anime, and I'm a huge fan of the anime, but I have not read the manga, nor did I really pay any real attention to the movie because I wasn't a huge fan of it. But Raven. Yeah, I actually read the manga. I read the first volume back when I was 16 and then never saw any of it again until Mason was like, hey, let's do Escaflona. And I'm like, oh, an opportunity to actually finish reading this manga. Okay. So I read the manga and I watched most of the anime. I have not seen the last four episodes. So I've been told I'm going to get spoiled and that I'm going to have my mind blown. But I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be pretty amazing. And I am, as I said, familiar with the anime, but it's been quite some time. And I watched the movie to prep for this, which I had already seen. But actually, it was interesting doing a rewatching. And so I'll get into that. Is is it as crazy as the difference between the Utena anime and the Utena movie? Well, I've only seen the Utena anime, I think. So I haven't seen the movie. So I don't know. But there's definitely significant differences. It's basically like a fan fiction. So so I'd say that's that's actually pretty accurate then. Yeah, Yeah, I think... Zara talked about this, that the Japanese are kind of masters of alternate universe that is right. al- that is also canon. Right. Well, and I think that's the thing. I think as Americans, we have a hard time kind of accepting that, at least for me. I mean, you know, it's sort of like, how can these two coexist? Because I had such strong love for the anime. And it was like, how can I give my love to the movie? But at the well. same time, it's really interesting because you get this alternate story but that's the same i know the creator of chrono crusade actually said it really really well when he was asked why the anime was so different than the manga he said why would anyone care enough to say the same story twice in two different venues why not take the characters you love and slightly change the story and make it something completely new and different and give it give them something else to love in the same world but we do that all the time in comics we do that That's with true. like Batman. It's very true. Like retelling. How many times has Superman died? Right, okay. and and Spider Man is on his I think fourth reboot now. Yes. Yeah. In so, less than ten years, ten years. If that, yeah, yeah. But that seems like, well, at least with that, with the Spider Man stuff and all these reboots, I mean, that's been a more recent phenomenon. I feel like to the degree with which they're doing it. Um, Yeah, but it's something that's always been done. Yeah, well, right. I've toyed with this notion in in other episodes where because of the internet, we're getting cross-culture pollination like we never have before. And do you think that's part of the reason? I I think so. Seeing how it's being done in other countries and stuff. I think exactly that. I think we're opening up to it. I think the thing is, you know, as, I mean, because if you think about it, a lot of stuff started here. And I mean, if you are familiar with the history of, you know, anime and manga, they kind of took... 
influences from Disney and that kind of thing, and then turned it, filtered it, you know, recreated it kind of through their own filter. And then I think what's happening is then it's coming back here and we're getting really into, oh, wow, like what a cool way you've reimagined it. And then kind of doing our own thing with it. And I think it goes, like you said, it goes back and forth with stuff where, you know, American productions like Avatar, Last Airbender, you know, that kind of thing where we're seeing those influences, how that's influencing us. And, you know, and it sort of just goes back and forth and back and forth. So, yeah. And especially recently with the cross-pollination and stuff, you're seeing a lot more American culture aspects in the anime and ideologies and stuff. And you're seeing a lot less very, very Japanese culture basis where, you're not going to really understand what's going on if you don't know certain aspects of Japanese culture like you did in a lot of the older stuff. Right. Well, and I also think we're becoming more familiar, you know, especially with the sort of the explosion of anime and that culture and the Japanese culture and how much it's really taken off in this country. I think it's giving people, you know, a stronger understanding. And like Mason said, with the Internet, I mean, it's really connected us with each other in a way that we weren't connected before. And we cannot only get sort of a breakdown of what it is, you know, how it is the Japanese are, but we're getting personal. I mean, we're talking about, you know, you're, you can talk one-on-one with somebody from a completely different country and really get their personal experience of being in that country. And so our understanding is not just informed by the things that we watch and, you know, and the, the ideas that we form about what is this culture just based on our own understanding of sort of watching a TV show, but we can actually interact with somebody from that country and they can kind of tell us what what it really is like speaking of watching tv shows (laughs) let's get back to to the point we we got a little what are we here for a little off topic no it was good it's an interesting discussion and one that we should definitely have later get it in post yeah we'll i'll fix it in post (laughs) anyway so let's talk some Escaflone, guys. Escaflone was actually concepted by a guy named Shoji Kawamori. People may know him as a writer and mecha designer for a little show called Macross. He actually formed a pretty good partnership with Bandai and Sunrise, and um, he did Macross and all this other stuff with them. Apparently, he was on a trip to Nepal. And he saw some misty mountains and he was like, man, what if we took Makras and the Mecca, but then crossed it with fate and divination? Man, that would be an awesome show. (laughs) So he went back and pitched it to Sunrise. And I believe that was his pretty much his exact pitch. And they were like, do it. Go with it. We love it. They hired a character designer, Nobuteru Yuki. He did all the original character designs, which was really cool. And he designed... Hitomi, the main character of the series, although he designed her very differently. And he went on to say that Hitomi was his favorite character that he'd ever designed because he designed her from scratch with no outside influence, which is interesting in and of itself. But we'll, we'll get more into that in a, in a bit. Initially, the show was slated for 39 episodes, and they brought in the director... Yasuhiro Imagawa, who is a very famous uh, anime director, and he was super pumped about it. And he actually coined the the name of the show, Escaflone, which um, is a derivative of the word escalation. He's the one who is credited with coming up with that. But he actually left the show. I I guess it was taking too long. Pre-production was taking too long or whatever. So he got an offer on another project and he rolled out. And then Sunrise shelved it for two years. So interesting enough, the original director, Yasuhiro Imagawa, he heard this concept and he was like, this is a shonen show. This is like a boy action anime. And so he designed it very, very heavily mecha and a lot of action. And Hitomi was designed as this very curvaceous, 
buxom redhead with glasses who who you know ran around looking i guess hot and when he left the show and it and it shelved it for two years when they brought the new director kazuki akane he's a very accomplished guy now he went on to work on cowboy bebop and ergo proxy which are two of my faves but he's the one that was like no no this is not shonen this should be shoujo but he revamped everything he made the men much more bishonen very beautiful long yes. blowing hair and, and beautiful eyes and he completely retooled hitomi into an athletic high school girl with short hair with emphasis more on her intelligence and her problem solving right. and he was like this is the way he's also the one that introduced the elements of tarot cards into the show which is you know kind of interesting I love this show. I was introduced to it back in college, and it was an amazing uh, experience for me. I didn't think I'd like it because it was introduced to me as a girl's anime, but I think it transcends. I think it's both one of the reasons that it, it, it went on to tremendous uh, financial success. Uh, Raven, like you said, it came out in 1996. And then it went on to tremendous uh, success. And I, I think that's really strongly because it pretty squarely came right down in the middle. It's not shonen. It's not quite shoju. It's, it's somewhere in the middle. I would never have called this a girl's anime. It's got mecha. Yeah, but it's got these romance elements. It's got it's got right, kind of this twilight. Boys. Yeah, it's got this kind of twilight. You know, Vaughn versus Alan. Which one is she going to go with? Right. Who knows? And then well, and the animation too is sort of more feminine. I think. I mean, it, I don't know. Their noises, their noses are really pointing. Well, I think the whole thing with that is. I mean, it seems to me that you know, it's the the idea is there are a lot of strong European influences and absolutely. Um, and so I think that kind of you know influenced the animation and influenced all also the tone, which I think is why, you know, it's been able to do so well here. I mean, for me, it was one of the most approachable animes that I'd ever seen it. Kind of, and then after that, I was like, oh, let me check out other anime. And then I was like, whoa, what yeah. is this? I, I think that I definitely agree with you. I think it is very approachable. It's a wonder. It's all ages. Yeah, um, right. I mean, it it is violent at parts, not to shy away from that, but it's a wonderful adventure story. I think what it kind of came across to me is just epic. It's yes. just epic. It's a sweeping saga. Yeah. It's 26 episodes long, half hour each. It's it's meant for, I believe, kids of all ages. So tell us yeah. more about the anime. Right. Well, before I get into that, I definitely want to talk a little bit about the music. The music yes. blew me oh away. It was my introduction to Yoko Kano, who is one of my all-time favorite so anime good. composers ever. <laughs> Ever. I love Yoko Kano. She is by far my favorite. You may know her from some of the many, many numerous other things she's done. She Cowboy did, Bebop. Yeah. Cowboy Bebop is, of course, the huge one. She did all the music for Cowboy Bebop. She did Lotus Wars. She did Escaflone. Of course, she did Ghost in the Shell, uh, Standalone Complex. She did Wolf's Reign. She did Macross Plus, Sharon Apple. This is all This is all Yoko Kano, and, and I, I think she's hands down probably one of the most gifted uh composers that i've ever come across and i won't lie as a filmmaker it's my dream to one day work with her will that ever happen i don't know but <laughs> i oh man i would i would probably chop off the one sixteenth of my left pinky to uh to work with her <laughs> The music. Uh, it's a mix of classical and Gregorian chant uh, influences, and I don't know, just and a little bit of techno. My 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 favorite part of the music is that it's just escaflone, escaflone, right. repeatedly. Yeah. repeatedly. Yeah. It 
it makes my life. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty awesome. In my research, I found out that the title Escaflone was coined by the director, and it's a spin on the Italian word for escalation. Oh, that would make sense, because all of the tarot cards in the anime are in Italian. Yes, exactly. You have to kind of go off the picture and then kind of... But it's a, it's a good right. way to learn Italian, right? Like, isn't Rosetta Stone kind of set up that way? The, the pictogram sure. with the word? Let's, let's go with that. Just right. just like how my watching anime has taught me Japanese. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you can probably say hello, right? Konnichiwa. I can say watashi wa bisojo sanshi seiramun. Hey. There we go. That's all you really need to know, right? It's really true. Let's <laughs> be serious. When you're stuck in the, in the wilds of Japan, you'll be able to survive. Yes, because I can call myself Sailor Moon. Right. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about the music. It, it's it's mind blowing. Yeah. They released a four volume CD set, which contains almost all of the music. It's really, really worth your time. It was it was my introduction to Yoko Kano, and I found out it was the establishment of Yoko Kano's partnership with Maya Sakamoto, who is the voice of Shitomi, who is the main character of Escaflone, and she is also the singer of the opening theme song, which is an amazing, you know, little piece. And she went on to do a bunch of opening theme songs for a ton of other anime, like almost any anime that Yoko Kano worked on. She did stuff for Wolf's Reign. She did stuff for Ghost in the Shell. She did stuff for Razafong. She has actually built a pretty thriving uh, music career. So she did a bunch of other voice acting stuff as well, but she went on to do her own albums and then do concerts and stuff on a, on a music standpoint, and people love her voice. And I have to I have to admit, you know, she does an amazing job. So I really like the music, particularly the classical, the cello, such a not typically used instrument, and yet it's all over the place in this one. Of course, Yoko Kano also famously did the music for Cowboy Bebop, which we will talk about at at another episode, I'm sure. (laughs) But yes, I love Yoko Kano. She could always guest some week. Right. (laughs) That would be awesome. Do the theme music. (laughs) Oh, man. That would be so good. Anyway, thoughts on the music? Anybody? Oh, I, that was the thing for me when I rewatched the movie. She did the uh, music for the movie she too. Did, mm-hmm, yeah, and I think you know from what I recall, it's slightly different. And there were times where I was just like, "Oh man, it was just so on point," and it just really, I mean, it really is incredible. And I think it does add, you know, it's sort of like when you talk about Star Wars, you know, you think of John Williams. I mean, that really put it over the top in creating the atmosphere and creating that world. And I think that's what really kind of pulls people in. And you can definitely tell when the music is phoning it in. That's the same in a lot of anime. The music is either amazing or it's completely forgettable. I know. That's true. For this one, the music was really, really good. The music is a really amazing. Sailor Moon.
<laughs> I, I really shouldn't be talking about this one just because I personally have the soundtracks. But in the overall spectrum of anime music, it's probably not the best in the world. Well, I have the soundtracks too, Escaflone. I think, you know, anytime you connect with the anime and you connect with the story, yeah. you, you, you want to take the music with you. You know, also, it's almost like audible cues when you listen to the music and it's part of the experience. And the nice thing about when you can listen to the soundtrack on its own, it pulls you back into that world without actually having to watch it. And it gives you a sense of the characters or, you know, specific character because usually each has kind of their own little theme. There are lots of components to it that still make for a really great anime, but this just, the music just put it over the top, I would say. Yeah, I would say if if you can come down on one reason to watch it. The music is amazing. It's astounding. And I was just in awe of Yoko Kano. And then she went on to do other pieces. And if if Yoko Kano is doing the music, man, I'll watch it. That's And, that's... and really, you can't beat Escaflone. Yes. Escaflone. <laughs> Uh, art direction. You mentioned the pointy noses, Raven. I'm so pointy. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I, I have no problem with it, but I just it, it distracted me so often. That was yeah. When I was you know researching, and one of the comments was that like, why are their noses so pointy? But for me, that was my first anime, so I was like, oh, maybe this is you know totally normal, and that's how I've drawn noses pretty much since then. So. You, you don't notice that's it true. when they're when they're facing you, but the moment you see them in profile, right. it's just like yeah, it's kind of a Pinocchio vibe. It's yeah. such a Pinocchio vibe, but like a I'm going to stab you with my nose Pinocchio vibe but, but that doesn't mean that they're not attractive no not at all I dug the looks it's definitely a style yes it's Alan style. is very much a pretty boy he is very much Alan, a pretty boy we'll, we'll talk about Alan <laughs> Alan Shazar Night Sally which is a, a pretty amazing thing but yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that it kind of stuck with me was the character designs are rather unique. The noses are pointy, but I was okay with that. What did get me was everyone has a halo shine on their hair. Mm. It's this constant halo shine. I think that's actually, the halo shine is pretty typical of anime at the time. You're right, it is. But hair falls in front of their face, but their eyes look through it. The hair becomes transparent over their eye. As someone that gets hair in my eyes all the time, that does not happen in real life right i wish it did it would make my life so much easier yeah. not having to push hair out of my face all the time i almost wonder if this was sort of a manga style in terms they, of they the do anime. it a lot in the manga as well yeah it's, it is not only the anime because i definitely have noticed that in reading stuff you know exactly i mean there were similar even the manga I mean, has a very different animation right. style the characters are a lot less sharp they're a little bit more rounded they're a little less tall if that it makes a difference they're they're a little less shoujo tall and angular right? yeah in the anime everyone the men are very bishonen they're yes. very pretty with long flowing hair and, and kind of wistful eyes that look everywhere not saying that they're not bishonen in the manga but they're a little less be shown in. Yeah, gotcha. I would say they're certainly less so. I mean, I mean, because that kind of the style because it was so different from the anime it kind of put me off reading the manga because i was like eh, i don't know about this which manga did you read because uh, this is this is a great question because there I, are actually two different manga there is the original manga which came out in 1994 that was concepted at the same time as the anime was concepted the creator of the show 
came up with certain bullet points of this is this is my idea for this show and this is what is important in this show and then he gave the same outline to the anime creators and the manga creators that were working on it basically at the same time and said go do and so it's really interesting to see how different they came out there's the original manga that got concepted the same time as the original anime and then after the anime came out and was successful they went back and made a separate manga that follows the same plot line as the anime going back to the anime initially the show was planned at 39 episodes and they brought on yushiro imagawa uh to direct and he's the guy that actually coined the term escaflone off of the italian word for escalation but he wanted to take it in a very shonen direction. He wanted it to be very much more mecha friendly and stuff. Nothing wrong with a good mecha. Right, but they, they had different views on it. And so he ended up leaving the project. And after two years of shelving it, they decided to, to revisit it, to bring it back. And they brought in Kazuki Akane as the new director. And Kazuki redid everything. Initially, Shitomi the main character was going to be a redhead, a buxom, shapely redhead with glasses. That's, and that's much more what she is in the manga. Which, right, and I think that's the one I read because uh, that put me off. <laughs> but but she's so much more fun than the Hitomi in the in the anime. Well, in the anime, she she turns out to be a short-haired, athletic girl, which the director argued was made her her stronger. Which based on what they actually did with her in the anime versus what they did with her in the manga, she's not as strong in the anime as she is in the manga. She's she's not as useful, I would say. I think that they actually did a pretty good job in the anime giving her stuff to do. They they definitely have her use her athletic ability. She problem solves all the time. She's very intelligent and she's also very empathic. So I think that's that's pretty interesting. But um we'll we'll we'll, we'll get into it. The writing is really good. I did a rewatch while preparing for this episode, and I was really impressed. I I did not think that I would like it as much as I did. I thought maybe I was kind of viewing it through rose-tinted glasses uh, as a younger man, but it holds up, man. The story is epic and dramatic and passion-filled, and the dialogue is on point, and the character development is great, and it's it's an adventure story. It is clearly meant to be you know, swashbuckling adventure with a wonderful backdrop of a very, very fully realized world and different characters and different cultures. And it really swept me away. I think I was really caught up in in the world of it. So the writing, mm, so good. I'm really a huge fan. I would agree that the story held up very well over time. Um, A lot of older anime don't. And I was very, very pleased watching Escaflone for the first time, how well it held up. The only thing that I would say didn't really hold up is the characterization of the women, a lot of them, even when they were useful, still had that very willowy, dr- very love-driven as their first priority characterizations. And the, something that has definitely grown as yeah. culture has moved on and everything else. And it, you don't see it very much anymore, except for a romance anime where these characters are basically focused on love. And oh, yeah, they do these other things, too. But the most important thing to them is Alan. Yeah. I will definitely second that. Yeah. Um. And, uh, and, I, and I saw that, too. I mean... In the, in the early episodes of the anime, Alan is very borderline misogynistic. He's definitely chauvinistic. Um, be, of course, he plays it off too. He's he's the knight, but he repeatedly dismisses women as you know. Well, you're just a woman, and I'll handle it. And you're just a woman, and I'll handle it. And, and as the show goes on, they they talk about that. Yes, 
Would you say he's a knight in guy mouth armor? Oh, I would. I would say that. In fact, guy mouth. Anyway, it's, it's it's taking its place on my like two mecha anime that I actually like. Yeah, and this goes back to my point earlier about how I think what made it so popular was that it appealed to both genders across across the entire spectrum. But it didn't do well initially when it was broadcast here because um, it was, well, the way I got into it was Fox Kids. Um, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know. Everyone's very sorry. I am very sorry. But it, Well, but it introduced me to it. So, you know, and I liked the idea of it enough that I went out and got it because they really did in the editing on Fox Kids. If you're not familiar, they really butchered it. They they kind of tore apart the first episode and then it started out sort of in the middle of the second episode. Yeah. Fox they, Kids has a tendency to do that. Yeah. You should have seen what they did with Tokyo Mew Mew. Oh, God. I tried to watch the Fox Kids and they took the continuity so apart oh, yeah. that you literally had no idea what was going on anymore and it didn't make sense. And, I, you know, I walked away from it. I, I, I watched the first two episodes and walked away. Well, my cousin had said to me, he's like, you you know, check this out. And so I was all psyched for it, even though, like you said, it really didn't make sense. And I didn't realize how much it didn't make sense until I watched the actual Japanese version. But that's really what, what got me into it. Yeah, the- I mean, it's also from an era where the American voice acting was not, oh, the, God. not, not the best. I mean, if you look at the original Sailor Moon, if you yeah. look at the original any of them that came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, the American voice acting was... Not great. Yeah, this is definitely an element. Like, we we are going to have a massive discussion. Sub versus dub. Sub versus dub. It's going to be. And I amazing. feel like the sub versus dub goes in waves because there are certain years where the dubs are amazing and the dubs yeah. hold up completely. Sure. But this this is no, not this one, one of those eras. <laughs> this one did not. So the story opens on Shitomi, Hitomi uh, Kanzaki, and she is voiced by Maya Sakamoto. <laughs> This was her second anime, and it, it, a lot of people attribute it to kind of putting her on the map. And she does an amazing job as a 16-year-old Japanese girl. I fully believed her. She delivered everything. She was a little whiny, but I think that was also the character. So, you know, she, she rocked it. That was definitely the character. She's a high school student, and she's going to a school in Japan, and she kind of has a crush on the uh, team track captain, and his, Amano Senpai. Amano Senpai. Amano Senpai. And she's very much in love with him. And she has a best friend, Yukari, who uh, supports her in almost everything she does. And the entire first episode is just kind of like this slice of life with Hitomi running around and, you know, establishing that she's this likable character pretty much. And a very important side note uh, that they kind of throw away in the first episode is that she does tarot readings and is a little bit psychic, just kind of a little bit. Her hunches usually turn out correct or whatever. And she has a pendant. She has a a pendant that was a gift from her grandmother. And eventually she asks Amano uh, to be her first kiss. And he says, if you can beat, I think it's like a 13 second, 400 yard dash or something. If if you beat it, then I'll give you a kiss. And she's like, sweet, let's do it. So they're on the track. He's keeping time with the pendant because the pendant always swings like one second arc. It's a pendulum. Yeah, so the pendant is a pendulum, which keeps perfect time. So she's going to do it, and she's running down this track, and all of a sudden there's this giant beam of light, and Vaughn, Vaughn Fondel shows up, and he is in his armor, his suit of armor, and he's got this sword. And one of the things that I think is actually really interesting here, in the initial introduction, 
he speaks a foreign language and you can't really catch it in I forgot about that. Yeah, he you can't really catch it in the subtitle because it kind of sounds like Japanese, but I always really appreciated that. He he actually speaks in a foreign language and Amano and Yukari cannot understand him at all, but Shitomi can. And whenever they talk, it's in Japanese or or the common language so they can understand each other. But I thought that was a wonderful little tidbit. Good good job, director. <laughs> And it influenced me. That's always been kind of a pet peeve of mine where like in these sci-fi fantasy shows, the outside world person is transported into the new fantasy world and instantly it's the same language and everybody can understand it. Interesting fact about that. Um, So this trope kind of in anime of girl confesses her love to whatever normal guy that she's dating and then immediately is sucked into another world is is super common not only in this time period but actually it still goes on but you see it in fushigi yugi not so much with the confession but you see this whole world sucking in fushigi yugi red river uh from far away but you you see this happen again and again and again and every time you see them immediately being able to speak the native language except for in from far away she actually the main character of from far away learns over the course of the 14 volume series how to speak the language. And it's actually a point of contention in the earlier volumes is she's easily identifiable as the girl from the other world because she speaks this weird language. Oh, that's really cool. I hadn't, uh, I'd like to read that. I haven't read that. There's no anime attached. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm not up on it, but... <laughs> not that, podcastable. Yeah, well, I mean, we can, we talk, we can talk about yeah. the manga. But anyway, but that is something that I am interested in. That sounds cool. Uh, anyway, she meets Vaughn. Vaughn shows up in the middle of her track field and he's followed by a dragon uh, because Vaughn, it turns out, is going through the rite of uh, killing a dragon in order to become king in his kingdom. Anyway, Which and, these poor dragons, like, yeah, what I'm did gonna, they ever do to them? I'm going to talk about the plight of the dragons in a minute. <laughs> but anyway, Hitomi has a vision that he's going to die and saves him. She warns him so that he avoids getting killed. He successfully kills the dragon and he cuts open the dragon and pulls out what's called an energist. And it's this kind of, it's the heart of the dragon. It's like this red jewel that's a heart of the dragon. And he's like, yes, this is it. I've succeeded. And then that triggers a pillar of light. And Hitomi gets caught up in it. And they get sucked away to his homeworld, Gaia. And that's where this is kind of a magical girl series where she gets sucked into the other world, like you were saying, Rip. Which is also very interesting because Amano Senpai steps into the light as well, trying to catch Hitomi, and he is not sucked up. It is only Hitomi and Vaughn. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He he remains grounded. However, the pendant flies from his hand into her, I believe. Or Correct. Because as we eventually learn, the pendant is originally from Gaia. Right. That's right. Well, yeah. technically Atlantis, but Gaia. Well, we'll get, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. <laughs> so anyway, so then they're on Gaia, and they manage to make it back to Vaughn's kingdom of Fanelia. He is successfully recognized as succeeding in the right of kingship. And we are introduced to Bargus, who is kind of the captain of the guard. He's the military advisor for Fanelia. And it turns out that he was Vaughn's father's very good friend. And, and Vaughn's parents, well, his father died when he was young and his mother subsequently disappeared. She wandered away to go be in her grief. And Vaughn uh, has kind of grown up under Balgus's tutelage, so he very much views him as a father. And then the other character that we're introduced to is Meru, who is a cat girl. And uh, <laughs> so she does that like all the time. <laughs> And 
that's her number one line is pretty she much she is my favorite and least favorite character all at the same time <laughs> you know i just because i love her to death because she's you see her grow from being this like super possessive character over Vaughn, really, really hating Hitomi to kind of starting to like Hitomi as a person and having this kind of issue with hating Hitomi because she wants Vaughn and liking Hitomi because Hitomi's awesome. Yeah, Hitomi's a good person. Yeah, and I, I think that was one of the things that really stuck out to me was in this world, if you are a beast person, because there's many different kinds. There's dolphin men and gecko men and cat people. And, and wolf guys. And wolf guys. You know, the, the anthropomorphic animals are all around in this uh, series. But if you are a beast person, there's one person that you choose that you're bonded with them before all others. And for Meryl, it's Vaughn. And for... Gold and Silver. Yeah, Gold and Silver for Volk and uh, Jajuka for Delendu. I really admire that. It, it shows the animal fierce loyalty that once you're part of the pack, you're part of the pack. And if I can just briefly digress on Meru for a, for a minute, her voice acting is really amazing. Isn't it the person who does Pikachu? My is it? On that that would be awesome. Feel like I, it is. Pika Pika Vansama. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, she played Pikachu. That's great. All right. Yes. Anyway, she's awesome. She is played by Ikwe Otani, and like Juliana just said, she does do Pikachu as well. So she is a well-known voice actress. But she rocked it in this one. Yeah. One of the things that I did notice that I didn't notice when I was in college, I have a cat now, and they really were very. Very accurate in a lot of her mannerisms and a lot of her behavior. Does your cat lick your face all the time? And no, call you no, no. That's that's clearly the girl <laughs> aspect. But just the just the way that she sits or the way that she moves or that she kind of creeps around a lot. It made me think of the cat. Good job, our director. And well, if I- the interesting thing about her too is you don't really see it a lot more with some of the other beast characters. But she is very much seen as almost a pet at times. Right. Um, where a lot of like the wolf men and the dolphin guys are just out and about doing their own thing. But Meryl, you very much see, is treated by everybody else as kind of this pet to Vaughn. The plight of Meru, I really identify with her in the aspect that she is very, very clearly massively in love with Vaughn. And he kind of looks at her as a, a kid sister, which is just so unfortunate because she does everything in her power constantly to love and support him unconditionally and cares for him. I really thought, you know, it's too bad he didn't end up with her because she really is very purely in love with him. There's no ill intent about it. When Hitomi first shows up, Meru's immediate reaction to her is, who who, is is this girl and stay away from him? He's mine. Right. As Raven said, they slowly become friends. And Hitomi at the time is still in love with Amano Senpai. So she's like, whatever, I'm not here. Amano Senpai and then Alan. Yeah, well, that's coming. Initially, the only thing she cares about is I want to get home. Balgas promises her that after the coronation, after Vaughn is crowned king, they will do everything in their power to to get her home. And she's she's very happy about that. One thing, everybody immediately knows that she's foreign from her clothes. Hitomi's wearing a schoolgirl uniform. Everybody knows she's a foreigner because her clothes don't make sense. As a cosplayer, I was very disappointed in her school uniform and how often she wore that school uniform because it is ugly. <laughs> It's much prettier in the movie, I have to okay, say. Okay, that's good. Because I was like, oh, well, we're doing Escaflone. If they're doing a school uniform or something like that, I might, you know, add it to my list or whatever. And then I watched it and I'm just like, nope, nope, this is gross. It's not even like a cute sailor thing. The sailor thing overlaps on a jacket and it's just weird. Yeah, it's kind of 
I don't know, practical question mark. It's a little more practical, especially because they have to have her run around a lot because she is an athlete. She Oh, she, absolutely. But they did that with the with the pretty pink dress where she had the full length pink dress that she then ripped off. And yeah, was sure. Basically another version of her school uniform, but it was still cute. But again, tip to the writing. They do justify it. Like you said, she wears it a lot. She wears it almost every day. And in the story, it's because it reminds her of, of home and she, she misses it. She's homesick. So I understand. I, but but it's I also not pretty. I also agree with you. Like, it's not a very attractive uniform as far as as far as anime school uniforms go exactly yeah i'm with you so she's promised that after von's coronation they'll they'll get her home so she's happy about that and then von is succeeds he uh is coronated he is king of Fanelia, and then zybok just a foreign country attacks for reasons unknown but you don't know it's them so in this world there are mecha which for those who don't know are basically giant robots that people get inside and pilot. And it, it's it's an entire subgenre of anime mecha series. So Escaflone was designed to be uh, a mecha series that was accessible to girls because typically it, it was more of a guy thing. Guys were into mecha and girls were into romances. And so the director of this wanted to show that they could be the same, that you could that you could cross the two. And so this was their attempt to do that. That's the prettiest robot armor I've ever seen, I have to say. I, I agree. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm kind of a fan of some of the stuff from Macross. Same people okay. wor- so worked on go. it. Yeah, There we go. Of course, Matt Cross and Robotech, really cool. Yeah, because the Gundams aren't pretty. I like Gundam. Gundam Wing. No, no, Gundam's a great anime, but the Gundams aren't pretty. That's fair. That's a fair... That's I don't a- know. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, you can see in the Mecha the European influence because it's meant to look, I mean, at least to me, sort of like a suit of armor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's absolutely. got the, the cape and they've got the sword and it's like, you know, got some jeweling. Yeah, you and know, it looks awesome. I mean, it's yeah, it's gorgeous. Which the jeweling is practical too. Right. They're, they're, sure. they're energy centers. Right. Well, exactly. Right. So Zybok, this enemy territory, has developed technology through at this point, undisclosed means that makes their guy melts, their mecha, invisible. Stealth cloaks. Yeah, stealth cloaks. And they immediately attack Fanelia and just wipe it out. The Fanelia kingdom has walls that are basically made of wood and it just shreds them and then just starts massacring everybody and everybody's caught in a massive exodus and it's pretty much leveled and burned to the ground. I feel like Fanelia could have learned something from the three little pigs. <laughs> I, I can see that. I can see that. So anyway, Balgus commands Vaughn. He's like, Vaughn, we're under attack. Go and activate Escaflone and get Hotomi and take her with you and escape if you can, because I will defend the kingdom. Vaughn wants to stay and defend it, but Balgus is like, no, this enemy is basically beyond you and this foe is beyond any of you. And he basically kicks kicks him out. Now, it's important to recognize that the the mecha, the armor in this world is kind of revered it's kind of it's got a very uh theocratic no i would i, I, would, I would disagree say that, that I, the I, mecca is revered well escaflone, escaflone is, is revered yeah. the other mecca is not that's true okay so but escaflone has this kind of religious significance to these people so they go to the temple they summon escaflone Vaughn makes a blood pact which he cuts his thumb and lets it drip on the energist and then that summons the mecca and then he goes and like you were saying the jewels escaflone has a giant jewel on its chest where its heart would be and he puts the energist into the jewel in this pretty cool cinematic effect and it starts beating and you know escaflone becomes activated and he gets in and at that point the secret stealth 
Gaim elves come in. The Mecha are called Gaim elves, and they attack, and he can't see them. But Hitomi, because when she arrived on this new planet, her psychic powers began getting basically leveled up, like more powerful. She can see them. She can sense where they are. So she starts guiding him and saying, Vaughn, watch out for behind you. Vaughn, to your right. Vaughn, to your left, or whatever. And so he does that. Balgus takes out like a couple of Gaimels by himself, just this guy with a sword, which is pretty kick butt. And then he's cut down right in front of Vaughn, who basically watches his father figure die. He cries and then escapes with Hitomi. And they're fleeing, and Meru is evacuated with the rest of the town. They go into the mountains, and the, and the entire kingdom is leveled. It's burned. Vaughn and Hitomi are escaping, and they're being pursued by the Gaimelfs, and you think they're going to get killed. But then there's a giant beam of light <laughs> that comes in and whisks them away. And uh, when they wake up, they're in a neighboring country called Asturia. And that's where we are introduced to Alan Shazar, who is a very, very beautiful uh, knight Sali. He is one of the 12 heavenly knights of the country. The interesting thing about Alan, and it's another thing that you see in a lot of this type of anime, is he is the one that when Hitomi wakes up, she thinks it is Amano. Amano Senpai, because he looks like Amano Senpai. And you see this a lot in this kind of anime genre, where there is someone in the new world that looks almost identical or very, very similar to whoever they had a crush on. And whether that person becomes a love interest later or doesn't is completely up to the anime. But there's always somebody, especially at the beginning, where they wake up and they're like, Amano Senpai? And it's like, no, no, that, that's my name is Alan. Right. And exactly. I mean, and it's not it's not just they look similar. Like in this case, they look exactly alike. Which the interesting thing about this is that Alan, I would say, is a very, very European looking character. Yeah. Whereas Amano Senpai is not. Amano Senpai fits in with the regular Japanese cast very, very well. Right. Yeah. And I, I'd argue it's mainly the uh, the hair. Alan has long, flowing, long, beautiful blonde hair. Beautiful hair. Yeah, and Amano Senpai has this kind of like short cut brown hair. Well, the- shortcut, it still goes to his shoulders. Right, yeah. but relative- comparatively. relatively speaking. Comparatively. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's longer than Vaughn's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Vaughn's is also has more body, I guess. Like it goes up instead of kind of... he has more of the spiky. Yes, right. say he's got the, the typical spiky, although it, it blows beautifully. Yeah, of well, course, so. in the wind. Uh, <laughs> ruffles. ruffles with his shirt, which yes. is this vest that he kind of wears. Anyway, um, she wakes up. Alan, quote unquote, saves her from one of my favorite characters, the Mole Man. The Mole Man's great. Yeah, he's awesome. He's kind of this outsider viewpoint. Uh, he's a thief that got caught by Alan previously, but he decided to dig his way out. And, and as he tunneled into the forest and when he comes up he sees Hitomi who has the pendant he thinks the pendant is shiny and he wants to get it and he for some reason or other through various means manages to stick with them for the rest of the for the rest of the series and he just kind of drops these little sage bits of advice or he's there for comedic relief or whatever but he's I like him he's he's a stable mind in the in the mid all this dramatic chaos that ensues but Hitomi thinks he's attacking her she thinks uh, Alan is, you know, very beautiful, and, and he is, to be fair. She's very taken with him. Vaughn sees this, totally is against this. He he goes, he challenges Alan to a duel. He thinks that Alan is trying to molest Hitomi. Alan uh, accepts the challenge. They fight. Alan kicks his butt, knocks him unconscious using the back of his blade. 
And then he takes him back to his castle. And one of the things that I do want to say, when I was a kid, I did not understand the depth of the character of Alan. I thought, you know, I thought it was all just kind of, I was more interested in, in the guy milf and the, and the drama that was going on. But you could literally almost make this show about Alan. Everything that happens until you get to the very, very end. It's all somehow related to him and his life and the things that he's done in in the past and the family that he lost and the girlfriend and the woman that he's given up and, and his spoiler illegitimate son, you know, it's, it's all very Alan oriented. And that was something that really um, shook me because I didn't remember that at all. So Zybok shows up again and they're led by the evil general Delando and they attack because they're looking for Vaughn and Escaflone. They attack, Alan and everybody escape. They end up going to Alan's hometown of Palace, which is the capital of Asturia. There you meet Princess Mirana, who is very infatuated with Alan and is the younger sister of Alan's secret love interest, Melina. They stay in Palace for a while under the king's protection. But then it turns out that he is in bed with Zybok. Zybok is the enemy empire that's ruled by this guy named Emperor Dornkirk. His second in command is a, a man named Falcon, who is this very beautiful silver-haired guy. Silver green. Silver green-haired guy. He's got the title of Stratagos, and he's in charge of Delandu and all the all the covert military operations. Falcon is Vaughn's older brother. Spoiler alert. Sure. Uh, who was who after their father died? He left to do the rite of succession, which is kill a dragon, take its heart. And he almost succeeded, but the dragon got the better of him and tore his arm off because Falcon, I don't know, started recognizing the nobility of the creature or something. Um, so he's lying there and he's like, I failed. I couldn't do it. But then Emperor Dorncook comes and is like, yeah, don't be bound by tradition, man. Like, do your own thing. And he rebuilds him as this cyborg thing. And so Falcon is like, you're right. Let's rebuild an, an a alternate future. Like, let's rebuild a perfect future together. So he joins Zybok and becomes his strategos to the point of selling out his home kingdom of Finelia uh, and saying, you know, Escaflone is there. We should go get it or whatever. It is very... Uh... Palpatine Vader kind of yeah exactly I, I think that's that's kind of the whole you know vibe of it except uh, Vader did not have two two women no <laughs> like Falcon has these Falcon then goes around and kind of collects these really kick butt people who are at the low points of their lives and then he like shows up and he's like come with me find a new future or whatever and they're like yes Vulcan and then they become unswervingly loyal to him so he's got this doppelganger assassin guy and then he's got these two uh, cat women guy milf pilots who are both madly in love with him and and apparently cool with each other uh, being so I guess cats are just alright with the um, poly, poly, polyamory <laughs> And he's cool with it. Like, he's just like, I love you both. <laughs> like, that's that's just the deal. So, and to the point of that, at the end, he ends up with both of them, which I was just like, all right. <laughs> Rock that's, on. That's just how it is, Vulcan. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. And then he... Well, but how is he with both of them? Because he's dead by the end, right? Well, they're, they're dead, too. Oh. 
So in in a very similar Star Wars moment where they where they show up and they (laughs) at the end, you know, he shows up and he's restored to his full form. I would love to see a version of the end of Return of the Jedi (laughs) with like it's like Anakin and then just two like hot chicks. It would be like Like, well, it'd be Padme and then whatever. Oh, interesting side note uh, that you just reminded me of. The woman who voices Hitomi, Maya Sakamoto, is Natalie Portman's dub uh, voice in Japan. Well, there we go. Full yeah. circle. Connection. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Fulkin's an interesting character. And he ends up turning, much as Vader does, he ends up turning on Dornkirk uh, and, and, and and assassinating him, actually. But his, but his assassination uh, causes Fulkin's own death. Much like Vader. Right. Although at that point he's redeemed and has been reunited with Vaughn and right. and everything like that. So, yeah. Pretty pretty cool guy. A lot really cool character design. Love the tear under the eye. Like what a great He killed a man in prison. I mean, he did something. <laughs> right. Like uh, I was viewed it as the eternal weeping over his lost uh life, but you know, yeah. Right. He, it's definitely a jailhouse tat that somebody <laughs> right. that somebody saw and was like, "Let's incorporate that into this anime." <laughs> Falcon shows up. He's got the king of Asturia in his back pocket. So Alan is branded a traitor and Vaughn and Hitomi escape being pursued by Delando. Uh, Alan takes his airship, the Crusade, and his crew and they go to the country of Freyd, which is the neighboring country where the first daughter of the king of Asturia married. The married, one who Alan was in love yeah, with. Yeah, married uh, the king, the, the duke of Freyd. So they go there because they find out that Zybok is going to go to Freyd because they're looking for the secret of Atlantis, which Freyd is supposed to have. Vaughn ends up going there as well. They meet up in Freyd. The duke of Freyd is away. He's out on business. And, when he, and so meeting them in his stead is Sheed, the young prince of Freyd. He's like this little eight-year-old boy who's got a very noble bearing, but looks almost exactly like Alan, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So, spoilers, Sheed is Alan's illegitimate son with Melina, who moved to Freed after she was pregnant, apparently, and told her husband, and her husband was cool with it. That's something I actually really enjoy, because a lot of times in these... Uh, anime where you see royal succession the minute it's proved that the son is not theirs it's this huge issue but the duke actually came and was like no she is my son yeah when it's fairly obvious to everyone that she does not right. that right. he is just like no there's no discussion there is no anything she is my son yeah he loved the mother so much and he loves the son clearly so yes you're, you're absolutely right and i and i respected that too that he was just like what happened before was before well, it seems to be a culture almost in the, I mean, in the show. I mean, as you'll get to probably later with the relationship between Malerna and her betrothed. Yeah, Mirana is engaged, but it was something that her father set up. And so she's in love with Alan, but Alan is still in love with basically at this point the ghost of Melina, her her older sister. Anyway, and Mirana did not know that they had an illegitimate child together. So she finds out, she freaks out, and she's trying to deal with it. Then Zybok attacks Freed. They try to defend it, but they are overwhelmed. The Zybok Empire is too powerful. So it's revealed that the secret power of Atlantis is the ability to turn will into energy. 
and that the Atlanteans, who are this ancient civilization that, of course, are from Earth, Atlantis started on Earth, and then they all wished Gaia to, to exist, and they created Gaia. They created a machine that, that turned their wishes into energy, and it destroyed them because everybody wished for different things. And so if everyone's wish, if all these different things came to pass, they kind of annihilated each other. And so it was the duty of Frey to make sure that that didn't happen again. But the Duke in the battle has this big revelation that the gods want this to happen again. They want Gaia to overcome the trial that the Atlanteans faced. So he says, my last command is to give them the power source. Then he goes off and dies in battle. And then Sheed agrees to give them uh, the power source. So they get the power source, but on the condition that Alan and everybody escape. So they escape. Fulcan and everybody are searching for them because Emperor Dornkirk, he's building what's called a destiny precognition engine, which is basically a riff off of the Atlantean machine. And the only thing that he can't predict is Vaughn and Hitomi. And he can effectively do what's called fate alteration with this machine and kind of change the fate of the world. His goal is to create a utopia where war does not exist because he says the destiny of man is always war. Or so he says. Right. It's interesting to note at this point that one of the things that they do with this fate engine is because Hitomi has kind of had this will they, won't they with Alan, but Alan is clearly in love with somebody else as well as there's the princess who's also in love with Alan. And at the same time, she obviously is starting to get feelings for Vaughn. And Vaughn is kind of not quite there intellectually, but his heart is kind of there. The growing relationship between Hitomi and Vaughn is powering up Escaflone to unseen before powers, where Vaughn is controlling Escaflone from not being in Escaflone. He is feeling the wounds of Escaflone on his body, and it's actually endangered his life at one point at this point. And um, they had to repair Escaflone to save Vaughn's life. So they see this bond between Hitomi and Vaughn making Escaflone so super powerful that they need to throw something in the mix to make Hitomi not be as close to Vaughn. And so they, using strands of hair from Hitomi and Alan, actually act out a thing using the Fate Destiny engine to make Alan and Hitomi kind of become a couple. Vaughn sees them kiss and it creates this rift between Hitomi and Vaughn. Not a really deep one, I would say, but it creates enough of a rift that it stops Escaflone from becoming this ginormous power at that point in time. Right. And like you said, the main point was Dornkirk wanted to make that happen so that they would drift apart. So Alan actually does fall completely for Hitomi at that point, but Hitomi is resisting the whole thing and and doesn't, she's she's just like, I'm confused. I need space. I'm confused. And at that point, she actually ends up getting teleported back to Earth for a day and while she's kind of in her own little headspace, and it's a replay of the day that she left. And then while she's away, Vaughn realizes that he really misses Hitomi, and Hitomi realizes that she really misses Vaughn. At the end of the day, when she's on the track field where she met him the first time, he shows up again, and she's like, Vaughn, I want to be with you. And he's like, I want you to come be with me too. And they go back together. And Alan had actually proposed to Hitomi, let's get married. And I feel like this is after I stopped watching. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and she... I'm like, I don't remember this. Oh, I but, guess... But I no, guess, no, no, I guess, okay. yeah, yeah, no. We this, know we're going to spoil me. Keep this, going. This may be. This may be it. Um, maybe after you stop watching. Anyway, but he proposed to her, but she turned him down. And she says, no, I want to be with Vaughn. Well, we're skipping over this entire part where Alan goes 
to find his father in the valley or whatever thing. Well, they all have to go to the Mystic Valley because after Dornkirk gets a hold of the power of Atlantis, it's kind of this the Mystic Valley is the next place that they might be able to defend from Dornkirk. And right. Dornkirk goes looking for it as well. Well, Dornkirk had been looking for it always. And, and the only person who had found it was Alan's dad, who had written this diary that he found it. And he found it because he ran into Hitomi's grandmother, who was teleported there mystically, and he fell sort of in love with her. And he was like, I have to find that girl again. He was again. obsessed with her. Yeah, more. he was obsessed. And so he left his family to go look for her. And that's why, well... There was Alan and his sister and his mother. His mother mourned the father leaving, but was waiting for him to come back. Then his sister gets kidnapped. Selena disappears and his mother becomes distraught and basically wastes away in front of Alan's eyes. He can't do anything. So he goes off to become a knight, but he's always hated his father. He blames his father for everything. His father never came back. Turns out his father went and met up with Dornkirk, who is actually this guy named Isaac. They were both looking for the Mystic Valley. Isaac disappears. Alan's father finds it and then writes down where it is in the diary, but then tears out those pages so that nobody can find it. He's on his way back to his wife. He's he's had this big revelation that he needs to get back with her, but then Dornkirk surrounds him and kills him. Well, and Isaac is, what, 200 years old and obsessed with gravity? Yeah, Dorn- Dornkirk is... <laughs> Yeah, Dornkirk is from. Here? Well, Dornkirk is from the Mystic Moon, and he, on his deathbed, he was like, "I've always sought to understand how things work. I understand how gravity works. I want to know where it comes from." And he's like, "Gravity comes from destiny. How does destiny work?" So on his deathbed, he wishes that he could figure this out, and he basically dies on Earth and wakes up on Gaia. And is with Gaia, heaven, it certainly got angels. <laughs> right. The Atlanteans had wings on their back. And, and Vaughn, Vaughn yeah. is a descendant of them. The Draconians are descendants of Atlanteans. And so they have wings on their back. And you're not supposed to see it. Everyone thinks they're cursed. Which which is really interesting because you'd think like people with wings on your backs, you'd think they'd be revered as like better people or something along those lines. Well, but demons but no. also have wings. Yeah, but don't demons have black wings more typically? No, so did or bat. Falcon. Bat wings. What? <laughs> That's right. Fulcan reveals that he is uh, terminally ill. Because of the fate experiments, something has happened and he's terminally ill. Anyway. So his wings went black. Right. And Vaughn thought that Fulcan died, but then he was like, oh no, Fulcan's alive. And, and now he's my mortal enemy. Well, Fulcan wants Vaughn to join him. And Vaughn is like, no, I'll never join you. It's, but it's a very Vader-Luke Skywalker <laughs> yeah. relationship. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it, the, there's that basically dilemma. But they make peace with it because Fulcan has these two women, gold and silver, who are cat women that adore him. And they agree to undergo a special luck increasing procedure, um, which ends up killing them in in the name of science. But they do it for him because they love him so much. But Dornkirk is like, oh, that's fine. The women can die. It was a wonderful experiment. And Fulcan is like, you know what? Your ideas are messed up, man. And he defects. He goes and joins Vaughn and then rallies an alliance to fight Dornkirk. Big battle ensues where they set off the atomic bomb equivalent of energists. What? Yeah. They, what? Yeah. Okay. One of the one of the countries in the alliance against Zybok has, has basically an atomic bomb made of energists and they set it off. And it's this giant reference to um, Nagasaki. And Hiroshima. And Hiroshima. And so everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe they did it. I can't believe they set it off and all this stuff. And then when the dust settles, Dornkirk's plan has come to fruition. The Destiny prognotion machine has activated and you're in the zone of absolute fortune so that means everybody's wish can come true what ends up happening is everybody starts fighting each other because they're like hey we defeated zybok now's our chance to be leader and so they all turn on each other and start fighting each other 
and Alan and Vaughn, who this entire time have kind of been like, Ooh, who's a better, who's better at fighting? Like, I don't know. They actually face off against each other because. Because of Hitomi? No, because of Delando, who I didn't really get to talk about, but Delando is the evil general. It's basically that, Draco Malfoy in a robot suit. Yeah. Kind uh, of. Well, which, he, but more which, psychotic. Yeah, which delightfully really, psychotic, yes. in my opinion. I really wanted to like him because I usually really, really enjoy the villains of anime, especially when they're kind of crazy. But he just took it so far and was like, uh, I, I have to I have to murder everyone and I'm psychotic and I'm all of this stuff. And I just I, he was so whiny. The entire time, like he took crazy almost too far. Like it's one thing if you're maniacal crazy, but he was just crazy, crazy. And and so I didn't actually enjoy him as much as I was hoping to. I actually enjoyed him tremendously. And I will say that he was voiced uh, amazingly by Minami Takeyama, who really rocked it. Yeah. Like just took it out of the water. She's a she's a female, but she played both male and female in this role. And and, and why would that be? Well, I'll get to that in one second. But the mental instability and yet ruthlessness of Delendu was so intriguing to me. Like he was just totally crazy, but also got everything done and he was a wonderful leader. His troops were fanatically loyal to him to the point of after they were dead, they came back from the dead to defend him from Vaughn. And so, I mean, that's that's something. But yes, the reason Vaughn and Alan fight at the end is because Vaughn in this big face-off is finally about to kill Delando, who who is obsessed with Vaughn, by the way, because Vaughn cut his face. But then he switches his obsession to Hitomi. Um, later. Later, because Hitomi is the one who predicted and caused Vaughn to be able to cut his face. Yeah, I don't think that he switched it so much as he added her to it. Like the okay. thing with Vaughn never goes away. So they're facing off and Vaughn eventually wins because he keeps getting to be a better fighter and he's going to kill Delando. And all of a sudden, Alan shows up out of nowhere, thanks to the zone of ultimate fortune to defend Delando. And he's like, you can't kill him. He's my sister, <laughs> which. How did Alan find that out? I don't remember, but. It, thought, oh, well, it was because I think um, like he. uh Selena was like all of a sudden showed up or something. I believe is that right that she showed up and then like I, I don't remember. <laughs> well, then, I remember and then she like got whisked away. Yeah, Delando starts starts breaking down. He gets crazier and crazier, and then eventually starts reverting right back to uh, the the girl Sel- Selena. And the sorcerers come and take him away back to get re. Re- yeah, re-Delandu. But I thought there was a point at which Alan was reunited or realized. I feel like the two of them. I mean, that's what I remember. Yeah, that's yeah. No, so I mean that ago. totally. That totally makes sense. Yeah, there there must have been a point where he meets her again, and yeah. you know, they, they he he remembers or he realizes what's up and stuff. Anyway, he realizes that Delando is his sister. He's like, "You can't kill her, Vaughn. I won't let you." And Vaughn is like, "I'm ripping out the root of all evil," and he's like, "No." And then she gets out of the guy Melf and she's the girl again. And Alan and Alan's like, I'll defend her. So then they start really going at it. That totally blew my mind. I have to say, like, I did not when I watched it. And I don't know if it's just because I was young, but I did not 
see that coming. I had no idea. Like, no, I think when we were all in the room and it happened, we were all just like, what? Like, we all just looked at each other like that. It was the most crazy thing you could possibly come up with. But it worked. Like, I mean, just, it kind of works. I thought it, well, well, in the explanation, like, you know, it's because of with the prognostication machine, right. it swings things so wildly in the sense that, you know, initially Selena was this gentle, you know, kind, pure person and that it shifted things to be the opposite so that she turned into this, you know, boy who's hell-bent on just destruction and annihilation and, you know, destruction without purpose. I mean, to a certain extent, because he's just just totally ruthless, I guess, is the best Yeah, I mean, he's definitely it. a source of chaos. He enjoys violence to an nth degree, and he enjoys fire as well. And yes, the, the reason the fate prostignation thing goes is because it basically operates under Newtonian physics... So that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And the reason that this happens is because it was designed by the leader of Zybok, Isaac, who it turns out in this tremendous reveal is actually Isaac Newton. What? From- Not clear. I, well, I don't, they never like specifically state it. Like, yeah. Oh, right. They just alluded to it. That's what I remember. And then you draw the conclusion. He's like, I studied the laws of gravity. Regardless. You're probably right. Yeah, it's Isaac Newton. And he's operating under the laws of gravity in in Newtonian physics. And so for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But eventually, I mean, basically, I would say that Vaughn and Hitomi's love sort of saved the world. I'm... Yeah, in the end, what ends up happening is Dorenkirk realizes that you can't change fate. Predestination doesn't really exist and that even though mankind's destiny seems to be war love counteracts it and if you if you can find and achieve love and hang on to it then that allows you to change your your destiny from a warlike failure to one of you know peace and and happiness right and so yeah, in the end, he just gives up. He's like, well, you guys, your love is great. So hope it lasts. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> yeah, see ya. Like, that's kind of it. So everyone's at war with each other. Vaughn realizes that he needs to go save Hitomi. He erupts his wings. He flies out. And as his wings shed feathers over everyone, it brings peace. And everyone's like, oh, wait, we shouldn't. We should just rebuild our world. Let's not worry about rights of succession. He shows up with Hitomi, saves her from... Dornkirk, who is dead at this point because Falcon uh, assassinated him, however, equal and opposite. So when he assassinated Dornkirk, the blade broke and stabbed Falcon in the chest. So Falcon died as well to equal and opposite reaction. Vaughn saves Satomi. They fly off together to build the new world. And then it kind of ends, and this is my only beef with the anime, it ends with Vaughn and Hitomi declaring their love for each other in a passionate hug. Oh, come on. This is an all-ages anime. It's not like they all can ages. get down to it. Well, I mean, at least a kiss. Alan kissed her. You it's know? true. It's true. Alan's gotten more than Vaughn has. Right. And then they confess their love for each other, and they're like, yeah, you're the one. And then Hitomi's like, I'm going to go back home. going to go to Earth. And Vaughn's like, that's cool. You can come back anytime. Because our thoughts are connected telepathically. Well, could it be that it's sort of like, you know, the that their love transcends a physical connection? And so sure. It's, you know. Sure. I know. Sure, I mean, it definitely, you can be romantic. <laughs> I mean, it definitely disappoint. I have to say, it definitely did disappoint me on that front. Because I was I was hoping for a little, little okay. smooch. But yeah, the, I mean, the manga won't disappoint you. All nice. right, then. <laughs> and, and speaking of the manga, the manga is so different. 
so different. Okay, so first off, the character of Hitomi is completely different. Instead of being this super athletic, short-haired track runner. She's part of the psychic club. She has these big glasses. She's kind of a little bit on the voluptuous side. Um, what, what is a psychic club? It's it's the club that would do like the tarot reading and, and all of that stuff. Although this okay. one doesn't focus on the tarot cards. It's more about she kind of has a little bit of precog in the manga she, ahead of time. She has precog in the... Well, she has visions. The, the, full, shot, the full title of the show is The Vision of Escaflone. And yes. H- Hitomi has constant visions throughout the entire thing. But go ahead. But so she's very, you know, she does the whole confesses her love to her senpai thing. And then she hears this chanting in her head. And she's a couple times ahead of this. And then finally, she's in the science lab and she can't concentrate because she hears this chanting and is seeing visions of this other world. And this shelf comes to fall down on her. And while her physical body does actually stay on Earth, she comes and is brought to Gaia and is kind of sucked into this this crystallized stone, which is the energist of the manga. Instead of being these kind of little balls that can be held in your hand, being the energists in the anime, the energists are these human-sized bouts of crystal that um, house the energy and they're just raw. And there just isn't much known at the beginning about them other than you can pull through an energist with a spell sometimes. And the Fenelia has this one energist that is for Escaflone that they know they can summon. So they finish the summoning ceremony and instead of this big stone being there, there is Hitomi. And she now embodies the energist and has all the powers of it. And she actually has to go in Escaflone with Vaughn to power up Escaflone. And so it's this... Does she still have a physical form? She does have a physical form. Okay, so the crystal like, gives her a new body. Correct. Okay. The crystal gives her a new body. So that's one of the main differences. And then at the coronation ceremony, Vaughn and Fenelia is attacked by Zybok. His mother is kidnapped. And he and Escaflone start to fight. And the mother is like, no, go run, protect yourself, protect Escaflone, because it is this godlike figure. Oh, so, so the mother is still alive. The mother is still alive. The father, we don't know what happened. And Balgus meets, unfortunately, the same end as he does in the anime, where he gets stabbed protecting Vaughn. Mm. So they go off and they end up in meeting Alan along the way. They strike up this kind of camaraderie friendship. Alan hides them when they get to Asturia. And there is, similar to how there is Delandu in the anime, there is another character who is kind of psychotic, obsessed with the mother in this case. And he's actually originally from Fenelia and then was kind of ostracized, tried to be murdered by his mother, then went and joined Zybok to then get back. And he really just wants to destroy the world, but is obsessed with Vaughn's mother. Super obsessed because he thinks she has the secret to Escaflone, which turns out she does. So Delandu doesn't exist in the comic? I don't remember if this character is actually okay. called Delandu as well, but gotcha. it's a completely different character design. Gotcha. And Zybok is, again, this evil empire who just kind of everyone deals with. And they know that Zybok is probably going to encroach on their borders at some point, but they all have little mini treaties and everything. And the big thing in Asturia that they find out is that there is this kind of temple of the energists in this forest that they end up making it to. And that's when you find out that the energists were the gods of Gaia. 
And as the gods died, they turned into the, these stone crystal things. Those are what the raw energists are. And you kind of see through going to Zybok and everything and conversations where Dornkirk is giving orders that Dornkirk is trying to create raw energists. And he has not had the opportunity to do it. And he's been trying to grow people from these fake energists he's made and everything else. And he's obsessed with these energists. But the only source of these raw energists is this temple place. But he doesn't know where it is. And he's never able to make it there to destroy the energists, but they end up getting destroyed by something else. Basically, Hitomi is the only one who can be summoned through this energist, although at some point they summon her through another energist into Zybok, and she has to be rescued. But you see this kind of progression of Escaflone, where at the beginning, Hitomi just powers up Escaflone. And then you see as she communes with the original spirit uh, that lived in the Energist that she gets summoned to, that she can power up Escaflone even more. So it shoots beams of energy from its various jewels, as well as eventually turns into a dragon, which is something that I, when I started watching the anime, I'm like, wait, you got the dragon form already? What is this? Because the dragon is the final form of Escaflone in the manga. Yeah, and in the anime, I didn't really touch on it, but in the anime, Escaflone turns into the dragon as kind of its flight mode. Yes, but in the manga, it takes a lot and Hitomi communing with this spirit of the energist. And when she powers up Escaflone after like a certain point too, she actually takes on the form of the original energist even though it's still her, who's this blonde bombshell instead of a red brunette bombshell. So you see them go through these various nations and it's the same group of nations and basically the same order too. The only big difference that I would point out is that in Estudia, when Alan is kind of branded a traitor, they brand him a traitor and they actually go and shoot him. But it's all a fake out for Zybok because Zybok was, was occupying Asturia at the time and was forcing them to kind of say, Alan was a traitor. We're going to shoot him to kind of stop Vaughn and Hitomi. But they end up smuggling Alan out so that he can go and then rejoin Vaughn and Hitomi and continue their quest. So I thought it was really interesting how different the Emperor of Asturia was in both the manga and the anime, where in the manga, he is this kind of really nice person who wants to help Alan and everything else where in the anime he's totally in Zybok's pocket and is totally working with them even on the surface he's helping them yeah I mean he's not evil he's just definitely he's in Zybok's pocket well he acknowledges that Zybok could wipe them out and so he's like oh and he does that in the manga too but he also knows that he can go and subvert them in his own way uh, yeah but so you end up finding out that these energists were originally people from earth or the mystic moon who were selected to come be gods of this new world and to help rebuild this new world that was in trouble and that was barren and destitute and all of this stuff. So they come over on a ship that lands on Gaia and most of them go out to go help and do everything. But one is left on the ship to kind of guard their way home eventually. But through various things and cultures, they all end up dying one by one and becoming these energist stones. And you see this through flashbacks where Hitomi's seeing through her energist and seeing what the world was like and all of this stuff that progresses the story. But you actually find out that Dornkirk in this is not Sir Isaac Newton. He is actually that original energist who was left on the ship who went insane and now wants to destroy Earth because this is the nation that abandoned them. This is the home world that abandoned them and never sent anything to check on how they were or never came back to retrieve them and that everybody died and left him. So in the manga, everybody on Earth knows about Gaia? No, this was an ancient culture on Earth. 
Oh, um, very, Atl- very Greco, Greco-Roman. They don't really specify what it is, but it's very Greco-Roman in style that sends off these people in this spaceship. So Zybok and Dornkirk's eventual plan, although he says he's trying to end all wars, is that he wants to get the Energist and figure out how to power up this ship to then go destroy Earth. Oh, uh, no. In the in the anime, he legit is the ultimate destiny of man is war. I will change that with my fate altercation machine. Right. It's just, it's also really interesting how many of the characters from the anime just don't exist in the manga. Von's older brother doesn't exist. What? Falcon? No, Falcon he, doesn't exist. He's like one of the best. I know. I didn't hard, get a chance to pass. talk about him much, but like he's the man. <laughs> yeah, but I actually Gold and Silver, I like way better in the manga just because they're so sarcastic. So who are they with in the manga? They're, they're still with Zybok, but they're not romantically with anyone. In the Duchy of Freed, there was a general who was actually in Zybok's pocket because his clan or species, because he was a kind of cat person type thing, was wiped out by war and everything else. And he was kind of saved by Zybok and Dornkirk and so pledged to serve them, even though he was the general of the Duchess of Fenelia. And he ends up betraying the Duchy of Fenelia in the end, but realizes his mistake as he's dying. But these two were of his clan. And so they're with Zybok because he was with Zybok and then they eventually are with Zybok for revenge for him but then find out the whole story and that how he died and all of that stuff and join the side of Alan and Vaughn and all of them but they're just they're so sarcastic and they're so flirty with Alan and it is the best relationship ever in the manga it makes me so happy their relationship with each other or no no they're their relation they're just sarcasm and flirting with alan sure. all the time and flirting with escaflone because they don't flirt with the person they flirt with the mecca and it's the best <laughs> thing it is so fun that's, anyway that's pretty cool but so to wrap up the manga the other main difference is that unlike the anime where hitomi goes back to her world she ends up staying on gaia right i yeah <laughs> And and she with is that. with Vaughn. And there while she has an initial crush on Alan, she gets over it really, really quickly and is totally for Vaughn for the majority of the manga, which makes me really happy because the whole confusion of who am I in love with? I don't know. Stuff doesn't work like that. You know who you have a crush on in real life. Yeah. Let's actually, be serious. I actually thought that was really funny. One of my favorite things about Meru is that she constantly makes fun of Hitomi not making up her mind. Right. So overall, which would you recommend between both. the two? Both. Yeah. Both. They are completely different, and I love them both for it. But if you had to choose? I won't. <laughs> oh, no. I, w- I, I will not. <laughs> okay. All right, fair. I mean, I think that's that's amazing. So what's what's the movie like, Juliana? The movie is also its own beast, um, although it's only 90 minutes long. So I have to say, you know, when I first uh, saw the movie, I didn't love it because I was so off of fangirling about Escaflone. Yeah, I, I did watch the movie when it came out. I was super, super psyched about it because they obviously had a huge budget and the music was by Yoko Kano and the character designs are great. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I watched the first eight minutes. I was so psyched. And then it just nosedived into craziness. It is completely different. And I think, you know, what I felt like I benefited from in rewatching it this time was that I didn't have the story of, you know, I hadn't come fresh off of the series. So I enjoyed it a lot more. So the differences are really that 
it's basically taking the same characters and the same basic world, but kind of giving them a similar storyline, but same but different. So essentially what happens is that Hitomi is suicidal, basically. I mean, she's not, well, she is suicidal because she has a, you know, writes a suicide note and her friend's like, what the heck? And she's quit the track team and basically all she wants is to disappear. And she keeps seeing visions of Vulcan who says to her, you know, yeah, you, you totally should disappear. That would be a great thing. And Yeah, I hate the fact that she's suicidal, by the way. I know. Well, really, it does feel like it weakens her. But I think, you know, in, in rewatching it, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to this as well, that it does, um, there is an overall, I feel like an overall theme, an overall kind of, it all ties in. So basically what happens is she shows up on Gaia inside Escaflone. So Vaughn has attacked this ship to retrieve the armor and he gets to Escaflone and oh that's right in the movie they like excavated it or something and something yeah and shipping it back and he already is is with Alan so Alan and a lot of the characters from the series are basically like this band of rebels against Zybok Empire and Vaughn and Merle are the only ones who are left from Finalia well other than Falcon because so there is no Dornkirk Falcon is the main antagonist and he is basically in charge of Zybok and what he wants is just to destroy Gaia. That's it. And he believes that by having Hitomi, who they call the wing goddess there, he can gain access to Escaflone because she is, I suppose, you know, like what, what Raven was saying about being the power source for Escaflone. She is essentially the power source and so when she shows up, Vaughn is opening or initiating, however you want to say, powering up, I guess I would say, Escaflone. And Hitomi comes tumbling out. Out of Escaflone. Out of Escaflone, yeah. And then a stone falls from the sky. It's the little pendant. And then Escaflone disappears. And Vaughn is upset because he's like, where is this thing? You know, what did you do? And she's like, I don't know. And everyone keeps calling her the wing goddess. And so they take her along with them. And eventually they realize that she's the one who can bring Escaflone back. So by the end of it, and in the meantime, Folk pursuing them because he wants access to her because he wants access to Escaflone because he wants to destroy the world and what the woman who I don't know if she has a corollary in the anime series but the woman who is with him who's sort of a she's kind of a prophetess it seems like and she appears to Hitomi and says destroy the world essentially what it boils down to is that Falcon is depressed I mean he feels exiled by his family because an oracle determines who gains right of succession so Vaughn is chosen to succeed and to be the next king, which has angered Falcon. So he basically decides that he wants to destroy the world. And at the same time, you've got Vaughn and Hitomi who are both dealing with kind of depression and emotional issues. And at the end of the day, what it really is about sort of lack of connection and about people connecting to each other and about how that lifts people from depression because Hitomi and Vaughn connect with each other and that helps them, that powers Escaflone, that gives them a reason to live. And Falcon doesn't have that. And he's sort of the foil or the, the counterpoint to their relationship, showing that they are able to kind of lift themselves out of this feeling of depression and isolation. And he is evil, not evil, but, you know, he's so hellbent on destruction because of his feeling of isolation. Very self-serving. Basically, yeah. And he 
wants to destroy everything because he wants to stop being in pain. And at the end of it, Hitomi and Vaughn go to confront Vulcan and Vulcan ends up getting killed. That upsets Vaughn and he's, you know, cries out for his brother. And Vulcan has this moment of remembrance, of remembering his brother and of remembering that relationship. Obviously, Gaia is then saved. And and in this, there is Delando, although he is not Alan's real, sister. I will say that brother thing, that, that plays heavily in the anime as well. Yes. Like every other scene is Vaughn saying, and you know, it's, it's very clear that their brother relationship is, is very heavy, but, and I'm shocked that it wasn't in the manga at all. Yeah, no, that is, that's unfortunate because I really do feel like that informs, you know, informs a lot of the characters, particularly Vaughn. So but I found it really interesting in rewatching the movie because there seemed to be a lot more depth than I had perceived uh, at first. And I mean, in terms of my own emotional journey, I do agree that there is something to be said for, for connection and how much isolation can bring out the worst in us and how connection can bring out the best in us. But other than that, I mean, other than sort of the deep seated philosophy of it. I think it's a worthwhile 90 minute you know, investment. It, the animation is beautiful. The music is beautiful. If you don't approach it as having come from the series, uh, I think you can have a better appreciation of it. I have to say, when I first watched it, I was hoping for an expansion upon the anime. I think that's what I was expecting as well, that when I went to go see the movie, I it's been so long now that I barely remember it. I do remember being severely disappointed because I went with the rather heavy expectation that it would expand on the series and kind of wrap up some of the loose ends right. that the series had but instead and i think you hit the nail on the head you have to just kind of approach it as it's just its own thing right well and exactly you, but i i think that was its greatest weakness i think the fans went and they were just like why am i here right well i mean that is completely why i bought it because I, I got a lot of this stuff after the fact after things have been out for a while so i bought the dvd set for the series and then for the movie so i'm pretty sure i watched them consecutively and when i watched the movie all i wanted was that kiss <laughs> to be honest all i wanted was you just wanted von and hitomi to uh, finally god Yes, and it wrapped up in essentially the same way as the anime series, which was, you know, we'll always be together, which I think... Except except they're not. Well, They're not always together. But I think the point is that... In spirit. Right. Well, but I think that's the point, that that connection, that way that we connect with each other transcends our physicality. And, you know, and so that's... Sure. I... (laughs) I understand that. And I understand there are long distance relationships and some people can make it work. But if you're like, hey, you're the only one I love, I kind of want to be around you. Well, but if you look at it from a more spiritual perspective, and of that course. was, right, I think that was the point of the show and uh, certainly of the movie because they kept calling her wing goddess. And they said that Escaflone was, they basically worshipped it as as a god. Um, and so I think that it was, their connection was more spiritual and it does transcend a normal male-female relationship. You know, they connected on a different level that may not need that same level of physical interaction that we expect and need in our in our own society and in our own lives. So if you look at it from that perspective, but yes, I would say well, it's dissatisfying. Yeah, on- I mean, I'm, look, I, spiritually connected is awesome. And like the idea that, you know, you don't need to finish what you're saying because the other person just gets you and, you know, just, just being around each other is enough. And just knowing that you're connected, knowing if you need the other person, they're going to be there. That's, I get it. That's great. That's, that's a very ideal and that's awesome. But, you know, 
Well, that's a very human way to look at it, Mason. To well, feel, I mean, I understand. I feel unfulfilled, you know. Unfulfilled would that, be a good word. Yes. In that sense, in terms of our, our own social, you know, preconceptions about what a relationship should look like, how a relationship should work. I certainly, I mean, as well as someone who kind of enjoyed the romance between the two of them, I certainly would have loved to have seen that. But I think I can appreciate it on a philosophical level where perhaps I'm giving it more meaning than it really was that's, intended or deserves. That's my only yeah. suggestion is that may I, I think you maybe are reading into it more than is actually there. But it's a wonderful vision. Well, yeah. It's yeah. a vision of Escaphonic. If, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead and rewatch the movie and see, I mean, see if you see uh, what I see. Yeah, okay, I will. I'll, I'll rewatch it. It's I, only 90 minutes. No, I'll do it. I'll, it's I'll, not... It's worth it for the music, honestly. I remember the music being very good. I remember it being very pretty. And I remember the first six, seven minutes where Vaughn is attacking the ship to get Escaflone. I remember that being amazing. The animation is incredible. Oh, well, and actually that ship attack. Um, so this was, I believe, one of the first productions for Studio Bones, which has gone on to do a lot of other, yes. uh, you know, well-known I, series and TV shows. Yeah, for, Bones did a lot of different stuff. They they did Wolf's Rain. I know they did, right. well, I, I yeah. think Sunrise and Bandai, they they formed Bones, right? I think so, or it was formed by members who were part of that. I but, sure. Uh, but one of the things they said, it was meant to be a showcase for different members of their studio. Oh, uh, like a it, calling card. Right. But like that, that was part of it. And so for that first animated scene, one person actually did a minute and a half of that on their own without Wow. Help. That's hardcore. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. I have to say it's really gorgeously animated. I mean, I love, you know, the original animation for the TV series, but this, you know, it's really beautiful because with... When you have a budget and when it's only 90 minutes, you can put the kind of work into it to make it look, you know, really pretty. And it does. So, I mean, I understand it did feel a little bit like there's so much in this series. It's hard to see it so diluted. And again, Delando was a different kind of character where he was Vulcan's basically second in command. There's no fate kind of stuff. That's not part of it. Right. He's not Alan's sister. He's just a guy who's been infused with dragon blood. So oh, that, yeah. So that's that interesting. allows him to like meld with a mech. Right. One of the things that I didn't really explain fully was because Vaughn forms the blood pact, and particularly because it's formed with draconian blood. Vaughn, Vaughn and Fulcan are draconians who are descendants of the Atlanteans. When he forms the blood pact, because it's formed with draconian blood, and then Hitomi shows him how to further connect. Vaughn is able to become Escaflone and he can control it with his mind when he's not in it. But the trade-off is anytime Escaflone is damaged, Vaughn receives the damage on his physical form. So if Escaflone is hit with a sword, then Vaughn will receive a cut wherever the sword hit. So that's an interesting interpretation of that where they incorporated that into the movie. Right. But it is, I mean, it's, it's very boiled down version of the series. And like I said, it is certainly a new telling on similar ideas, but it is its own independent piece of work. A grand retelling, which I just wasn't prepared yeah. for. Well, not even a retelling, like a different telling, almost like as if someone tells a story and then somebody else retells it. Like right. I said, that and would I, be a retelling but yeah <laughs> exactly realize. yeah no and it's just interesting because this is exactly what they did with utana where they essentially made a standalone thing but for some reason that was received much much more positively do you think people were less invested in the 
story itself and more in just the tone of Utna. I mean, I think the thing about Escaflone that really appealed to people was the specific story and the storyline, at least to me, you know, I was very invested in the story and the characters and it wasn't, I didn't really want to see something as Raven was talking about earlier, something in the same world with the same tone. And maybe it speaks to the fact that people weren't satisfied with the conclusion of Escaflone. And that's why they wanted something more to kind of flesh it out and expand upon it because it was it was a little unfulfilling and a little dissatisfying at the end of it. You wanted were, more of were that we relationship. Lo- were we looking at it too humanly? Yes, I think so. Did we did we foolishly were we thinking yes. of the flesh? We mere mortals. Well, I gotta say, even sorry to harp on this point, but even if you have a spiritual connection, you still want to see the person. I, well, I think they can see each other, but if you feel connected, if you feel a sense of connection, you know, say when someone dies or whatever, if you have a true connection. True spiritual connection, to my mind, the physical form, physical body, physical proximity does not matter. Even if you share a true connection, like when they're gone, you still miss them. Right. Well, but I'm saying that this is, that it's different, that it's different than anything. The idea would be that it's different than anything that we have experienced, that we can experience because it's such a complete connection. And again, you know, this may be reading into it too much, but I'm my point is simply that there are things that we can't understand because we have no point of reference for it, you know? And so, <laughs> well, I'm just saying like we have we have okay. very little because we are driven by specific desires, you know, sure, as humans. Sure, sure. And so it's difficult for us to understand something that is not within our scope of experience or in our realm of experience. You know, and so I don't know. I mean, at least that's how I like to think of things with the understanding that there are things that I can't grasp given the life that I've lived or. Sure. I mean, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of. Like, I'm with you. I, I get that. And I have seen examples of what you're talking about. I guess the one that comes to my mind is Gunsmoke with Matt Dillon and Kitty, the saloon girl. And it's very, very clear that they care deeply deeply for each other and are perfectly good match but they never get together ever and never talk about it they don't need to right they just they know you know i think the thing with escaflone is that there is that element of romance and i think that's the thing that might set it apart from like i talked about being a spiritual connection where you do means you know i'm saying i'm agreeing with what you're saying which right. is that because there's a romance you expect a certain level yeah. physicality to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, it's never not talked about. It's openly, they're like, I love you. Right. In a romantic sense. Right. Well, exactly. So, right. I mean, so I can, I can certainly understand that. Yeah, like that. she, she fantasizes about being held and physical stuff. Right. Not, not to an extreme degree, right. but. Right, you know, Schoolgirl, schoolgirl right. level. Yes. Yeah, okay. So you would recommend the movie? I would certainly recommend it. I don't know in what order I would recommend watching things because like I said, it's. I would say anime first because you just want the purity to be open to the purity of, of the yeah, story. Yeah, I would definitely say the anime first. I think it's the most fully developed. Yes. Uh, all the characters are much more developed and deep. The story is longer. It's more involved. The setting is more fully realized. Yeah. Raven had to go, but the manga sounds sounded amazing so maybe it was on the same level but i will say that the anime i think it came out a little bit after the first but i think it's just more fully realized certainly than the movie right so i'd watch that first 
kind of get a feel, kind of know the characters a little bit and more. And then give yourself 10 years <laughs> right. and watch the movie. Yeah, take, take some time off and just when you're ready, <laughs> right. watch, the, watch movie the movie. And, and, and not kinda... with the sense of not bringing in the excitement from the series, I think. Right. With that sense of, oh, hooray, this is going to be an extension of the series. More like, okay, I'm going to watch this now, you know, and this is something different. Yeah, and I think it's the same way if you if you're gonna hit read the manga i think you have to look at it the same way like all right now i'm gonna read the manga it's gonna be different there are gonna be similarities but well it sounds like it's a little more satisfying because von and hitomi actually get together i feel like i'd be more willing to forgive the manga for any discrepancies yeah well uh, obviously because that's that's the one question that you're you're still hung up on i know um just a little yeah no i and i agree like that's all you that's all you that's all you need yes you know just something something to confirm that you're not crazy right i would definitely recommend the anime i think it's a wonderful fantastic awesome experience it holds up even after going back to watch it after 10 years. It's available. You can get it. It's a little difficult to find. You can find it online. Yeah. I actually once had the box set of it that came with the, the mech figurine, but I lent it to someone. So I bet it's gone now. <laughs> so Christine, if you're listening, oh no, <laughs> I want my anime back. Name check. Um, um, so hey, I didn't use her last name. That's so. fair. You know who you are, Christine. <laughs> you, know, you know who you are. It's, it's gathering dust right. in your attic. You also have my copy of Big O. Oh, man oh we're gonna do big o yeah we better it is available you can still find the you just gotta the, search you just gotta search you gotta find the, the and it's worth the search yeah the dvd box sets are still out there and um, you can get it on amazon it's just expensive amazon and ebay yeah um, ebay has it so there are online retailers that sell it but i don't know that there are new licensed editions no i think it's available. out of print which is yeah. unfortunate but you can find it you can find it yeah. and there are stores that can special order it and stuff right so I would definitely recommend checking it out. I think it's, if you're a fan of the Saturday morning kind of movie spectacular serials, it is a fantasy yes. soap opera. Well, and if you like medieval kind of stuff too, yeah. I mean, you know, medieval fantasy. Yeah, fantasy, sci-fi, any any of that. If it's, you're a Renfair freak, sure. you'll probably love it. <laughs> or like, awesome person, right, Renfair right. awesome person, such uh, as myself. Hey, I'm a Renfair freak. I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm, a, I'm a Renfair awesome person myself. <laughs> right. I love Renfair and I'm awesome. See if you can find it. Your friends may have it. Or if you have it, show it to somebody. Right? <laughs> it's well worth it. It's especially worth it on the rewatch. And I think it's all ages. Like I said, it does get a little violent in parts. Yeah, watch it first before you show it to everybody's. The, the countries are at war. There is war. There is blood. The they, movie is definitely probably for a little bit older crowd. Yeah, there the movie, more, if I remember correctly, violence. it was definitely teens and or older yeah. adults almost. It's a wonderful story full of great characters, wonderful music. I highly recommend it. I, I think it was a great choice and I, I'm glad that we got to do an episode on it. And I'm glad I got to be on that episode because yes. it, is, it is mine. It is my anime. I love Bond. I actually, my friends and I, we formed a band in name only, I should what? say, because none of us... None of us. And where can we get recording? <laughs> there are no recordings because none of us could play an instrument. No. And, uh, we were called Pink Elephant. And I started writing a song and it was about Escaflone. And it, nice. was about, it was about Vaughn and how he was the one for me. Wow. You, so, should, uh, you should sing it. I will absolutely not do that. Why? <laughs> so, that's that's it's disappointing. Really that's disappointing. <laughs> it's like... I've got like two lines of it written, so it's. I, I think will, you should I will finish save it. You all. <laughs> I think you should finish it and come back. All right. All right. Well, cool. Well, yeah. So thank you for listening. 
Thanks for checking us out. And remember to check out Meltdown Comics. We're up on Sunset Boulevard, 7522 Sunset Boulevard. We always have something going on. But thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed your Escaplone fangirling <laughs> animation. that you <laughs> Yeah. No. I, well, I think that's that's kind of the point of the show. Right. So great job. It's great to have you. And we'll, we'll look forward to having you back. Yay.